Youth ministry can always use some big ideas. Ideas that are faithful to relational ministry, but also provide some crazy, fun, and life-giving resources for youth leaders, youth in leadership, and the church. Now that's religion. This is the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Podcast. Your source for information, discussion, and feedback in youth ministry of all shapes and sizes. Now, here are your hosts, Michelle Thomas-Bush and Cliff Haddocks. Welcome to episode number four of the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry podcast, a podcast resource for the church as we seek to be faithful to our ministry and for young people in all settings and sizes. Coming from Dayton, Ohio, I'm Cliff Haddix, uh, and joining me, as has been the case thus far, uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina, Michelle Thomas-Bush. Hey, everybody. And in our third chair today, uh, coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona, where he is the Associate Pastor for Youth and Community Outreach at Orangewood Presbyterian Church, it's Tully Fletcher. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Or good afternoon. Whatever time it is, you're listening to this. Yeah. (laughs) Are you more a morning listener for for things of spoken word? Are you just on the treadmill? Where are you? I am uh, at my office in Phoenix, Arizona, but because of the time change, it's morning here for, you know, everybody else's afternoon. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us today, Tully. We are going to talk about mission trips and our outreach efforts with young people um, in the world as they try to participate in what God is doing in the world. And so I hope that we could have some conversation about just best practices or tips for mission trips. I know that. So what? What do we need to be thinking about when it comes to mission trips? Yeah, mission trips is a really big deal. Um, I think for me personally, it's the reason I became a pastor. Um, And so when we engage in mission trips, some of the people who are going on their very first mission trip, this may become a lifelong passion for them. And so that's kind of, that's our goal. Um, And I think something to keep in the back of our mind as we, as we plan these trips and events, um, for me, you know, one of the things that's really important is to try to balance work, worship, fellowship, community engagement. Um, some trips may do a lot of work. You know, you're building a house or you're right. doing some kind of big community project that's like eight to 12 hours of labor a day. Mm-hmm. Um, some trips. And there are some adults who really want that. So Yes. If you're doing yeah. something different, you have to be clear that there's going to be a balance. Yes. And, you know, for me and my church here at Orangewood, we do four big mission trips a year, um, two of which are labor-intensive, um, mixed generations, adults and youth, um, one of which is summer youth trip, which is much more leans towards relationship building, spiritual development, Um, And then we have an adult trip, um, and that, again, is also very work-focused, but the adult trip is really hard to get them to sometimes engage in the fun and the spiritual development. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So those are all kinds of unique challenges you face. And and the way I look at it is we've got our um, Mexico mission trips. You know, being here in Phoenix, Mexico is our backyard. It's about a four-hour drive to where we go twice a year, every year. Um, and do you have a relationship, a, a partnership in Mexico that you work with, or is it a partnership with a church? 
Yes. So we have a partnership with an organization called Amor Ministries, um, A-M-O-R dot org. Uh, anyone in the mountain or western time zone should definitely check that out. They're a great partner. They do work um, in Puerto Penasco, Mexico, Tijuana, which is just south of San Diego. Um, and so actually Orangewood was the first church. Um, our pastor 24 and a half years ago um, had been in in California and knew what Amor was doing in San Diego um, and reached out to them and said, hey, let's continue this work and let's get started in Puerto Penasco, which is right on the Gulf of California, um, small, sleepy little fishing village. And so we began a partnership with them. Um, and just less than a month ago, we finished our 48th consecutive mission trip. Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and, and of course, I haven't been here for all of that. I've been here for the last, I think that was my 18th. Um, but it's just a really cool process because we have such a long partnership, you know, friends and church community partnerships that we've built down there. Um, and so each trip is a little bit different. Um, and they're just really a wonderful experience because we have such a trusted relationship with the community down there. Can you talk a little bit about what, it means to be partners because I think Cliff, you and I would also agree that we do mission in partnership, mm-hmm. but what does that mean um, as you're planning or as you engage in that relationship? What does partnership really mean on a practical level? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and one that re- relates not just to trips, but also to, local mission um, within your city and community and thinking about partnerships for me is really about where the power and authority in decision making lies. Um, And in a real partnership, you've got some kind of shared decision making. Um, You know, kind of an example. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So in in on a mission trip, you might instead of deciding we're going to build a house, you might ask that partner what is it that you need from us? And is that why your mission trips change each time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We always put that out there to Amore saying we are open and flexible and we've built, you know, 50 plus houses over the last 20 years and we are happy to build something that is not a house. Uh, and so actually this most recent trip, we built a Sunday school room for a, a local mission church. Um, and that was a really cool experience. Um the best part of that was we when I met the pastor and we're so we're doing this build over the weekend and it's a long build about three and a half days um, and it's a lot of work and it gets really loud on the work site and if we don't meet our process goals for each day we won't finish the project um, in three and a half days and so he was inviting us to come to their worship service on Sunday morning and I was like you know oh, there's just yeah. not a way we can take two hours out of our day on Sunday in the process and still finish on time. And so I said, well, let's figure something out. You guys have your service. We'll do the build and we'll find a way to let people kind of take breaks and and see the worship service. And of course, the whole time I'm thinking this is going to be really awful for them because they're not going to be able to hear the preaching over the sound of, you know, 40 hammers banging on the roof. Um, but at one point during the build on Sunday, we've got the roof on top of the building. We're trying to square it up. So we got people at each corners. 
We've got measuring tapes going across the building, and we're trying to get measurements to the, you know, 16th of an inch. And we're having to yell back and forth at our top of our lungs because of the music in the worship service was so loud. Um, so that was just really, really humorous. Um, There's always something, and those are stories you'll probably talk about forever. Yeah, absolutely. It um, is. It is you, you do raise a very important point that goes for any mission is – when it's a partnership and it's a true partnership, you're willing to ask, what is it that would help you and your ministry most without trying to put your own idea of what you think that should be for a place you aren't? You know, I absolutely. I, I, I can remember uh, being involved in a mission uh, with a church and we went to Nicaragua and we asked, what do you need? And it was a medical mission. And they said, we need a centrifuge. And we're like, and a centrifuge doesn't, it doesn't sound sexy. It doesn't sound like something you can put no. on the poster and say, "Hey, we're raising money for a centrifuge." You know, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, you don't build a little baby centrifuge to put nickels in. But it was what right. they legitimately needed, and what helped uh, them to provide healthcare and help them to provide testing and help them to provide treatment. And so we, we that's what we ended up doing. And and we posed for a picture around this centrifuge. It felt weird, but it was what, what they what genuinely needed in the partnership at that time. That's really cool. So um, what is what tips would you have as you are thinking about, you know, this this balance of work and worship and community engagement? Uh, what was the other one you listed? Um, but as worship. you think, yes, as fellowship. You, fellowship, as you yeah. think to create that balance, what are some best practices that you have in planning? Yeah, I, for me, it starts with looking at the kind of the whole year, the whole calendar in a holistic way. And, okay, what parts of our ministry are really good at building relationships? What parts of our ministry are really good at teaching mission and work ethic? What parts of our ministry are really good at um, worship? And what are the things that we can do best on a mission trip? And what are the things that we can do best at home? Um, and then trying to strike that balance. Um, and particularly if you're in a church that's got multiple youth trips a year, like a Montreat or a summer camp and a mission trip, is thinking about, okay, what kind of things are we going to emphasize at one and what kind of things are we going to emphasize at the other? Um, and, and working on your balance in a holistic way. And so if you've got a mission trip that's really heavy on the work side, um, that's okay if you're able to kind of make up that slack in other parts of your ministry throughout the year. Um, I also think about balance in terms of the calendar year and making sure that you've got mission in, you know, November, December, January, February, and not just a summer thing. Well, um, that way it's not just a check the box. I, I'm a spiritual tourist and I'm going on this trip. It's something that is part of your faith journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ throughout the I year. I like that that term, spiritual tourist. Mm. Uh, well, we are, I mean, our culture, we vacation and, and we are tourists in everything we do. So even the best of us have a hard time not falling into that trap sometimes or even the consumerism of a mission trip of what can I, what do I need to purchase? What souvenirs do I need? What you know, how do I let me take pictures of everything? So we, it's easy to fall into that spiritual tourist role. 
Yeah, absolutely. It really is. And I think it's really unfortunate, too, because that we teach our kids that mission is something you've got to get in a van and drive for 15 hours or get on an airplane to go and do. Um, and the reality is when you're in your 20s and 30s, mission looks like your backyard. It looks like mm-hmm. your city, your neighborhood. Um, and so I think we have a responsibility to teach that to our teenagers. I agree. I think that's a great thing to look holistically and and look at your calendar so that there's something that you're engaged in year round. And if it could be a continual experience, uh, we've had some opportunity here in our town to engage with a community and it might be an after school reading program or it might be a girls group and in the evening, but it might be a, a block party in the summer, but you can do some different things with the same people. And that's been helpful to create those relationships ongoing. Yeah. You know, we we talked about partnerships before. And one of the things that I think is really key to a good partnership is, is going there and developing that partnership over a long period of time. Um, You know, the congregation I'm serving now, we've done these trips to Rocky Point, Mexico. Like I said, this is that we just finished our 48th trip over the last 24 years. We also go to Honduras and we're about to do our 10th trip where that's an annual thing. Um, to Honduras uh, in January. Um, And so you can get so much more accomplished in a community on your third, fourth, fifth year than you ever could in your first two. Um, And just having that commitment to say, we're going to go to the same place year after year um, and build some relationships there. I think there are two things I want to comment on that is one, you've been talking about really a whole church partnership. And for those of us in youth ministry, that I think is an important key that we don't just choose um, an agency who can provide a mission trip because it's good for our youth, but we look at what the adults in the church are doing, or maybe we invite the adults to be involved in that partnership. I think that's the, the first place to start is who who are we connected to globally and locally in outreach as a church? Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, our our Mexico trips um, are about 50 to 60 percent young people Mm -hmm. uh, and 50 to 40 percent adults. Um, And we also get, you know, college students and young adults in the community that went on these trips when they were young that want to keep coming back. Because Um, of the relationships and the experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it really becomes an intergenerational thing with people from 11 years old to 87 years old. Um, And so having the space to kind of build those relationships between the young people, you'll find there are people in your congregation who are really passionate about mission, but not about teenagers. Um, And so they'll tolerate the teenagers on a mission trip, and then they'll come to love the teenagers. And next thing you know, they're teaching Sunday school and helping out at youth group. Um, and so it can be a really good way of doing intergenerational ministry. We've talked about having these long, you know, long-running relationships and these long-running partnerships. You know, we, we try to be, for all the churches of lots of different sizes, lots of different sizes of youth groups, where would you point that youth director who's got four kids and 
this is all new territory to them because I know myself, I see flyers all the time from lots of different groups and lots of different organizations trying to put together mission trips. And, and if someone's seeking a genuine experience, where would you te- where would you point someone to get going for step one at ground zero? And, and you're assuming that you don't have something already, uh, an outreach mission committee. Exactly. exactly. Someone has just been, been tasked ground with... Zero. Take our kids on a mission trip, and they've never done it before. Yeah. The, my first piece of advice would be to pull out a map uh, and draw about a four- to seven-hour-wide circle around your church. How far can you get in a six-hour drive? Um, and try to find something within that area. Uh, it's important to go away on a mission trip, I think, because there's just community development that can happen and relationship things that can happen um, when you go away that won't happen if you're staying at your own church. Um, but you don't want to go too far. If 50% of the cost of the mission trip is plane tickets to get there, hmm. and this is your first trip, that's a lot of resources going into just getting there. Well, we have uh, a partnership in the in Uganda and in the Congo, and those are great, amazing partnerships with for adults. But it is almost impossible for the youth ministry to connect with those because of the cost of those trips. So I think you're right in that, you know, considering how far you can go. Yeah, and 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 mission can be done locally really well. I mean, almost every major urban center. Um, city in the country has some kind of mission partnership that you can connect with. Um, there's organizations like Open Door um, that I would highly recommend if you're looking for something. They've got sites, I think, in Atlanta and Denver and L.A. and several others. Um, so, yeah, so that would be my first piece of advice is to, to go away, but don't go too far. And on um, the... Um... Big Ideas Facebook page, we do have a list, I think, of a lot of the different sites because this comes up over and over again. Like, where can I go because something's canceled? So, you know, within three or four hours, what's available? So I think there are a list of those places like the Center and the Pilgrimage and uh, Church of the Pilgrim and Broad Street and Cross and AYM. So that list, I think, is on the Big Ideas Facebook page. I'll double check it. The, the other piece of advice I would give to someone if it's their first mission trip um, is to pick something that does a lot of the planning and logistics for you. Um, I know Youth Works is an example of an organization that puts on mission trips. Um, they're not a perfect organization, but for a first mission trip, they're pretty good. Um, at least I had a pretty good experience with ours in San Diego. Um and that's just nice because they kind of set up those partners and they get a sense of what what you can do. So for someone who's running their first trip, that's a really good route to do is pick one of those flyers you get in the mail um, that's got a reasonable price and just go with that. And then think of your ministry as building up to doing your own mission trip um, and rely on the strengths of your congregation. If you've got people in your congregation that are really good at building, then partner with Habitat for Humanity or Presbyterian Disaster Assistant and go and build a house. Um, but right. if you don't have those kinds of skills among the adults in your congregation, then don't feel like 
you have to go build a house because that's not the only way to go serve God. Um, and so your whatever route you pick, it needs to be what works best for your church and community. And I do think you mentioned before about doing a community trip. And Cliff, I think that's that's a great way to do it is to do an all church trip mm. that if you have three or four youth, you know, how can you do a church trip and engage, you know, some members of the church, but it also doesn't have to be a group of 20 cause that can overwhelm a mission site um, or 50. So a small group could be a rich experience. I know with Appalachia service project, you actually only have seven people on a team and two of them are adults. So five youth and two adults. Um, is the max you can have in Appalachia with that Appalachia service project. I didn't realize their their numbers were so small. Well, you can bring three or four teams, but yeah. that's one team at one site doing the work. And that's because if you're you know doing roof work like you talked about or steps, you can't have 20 people because there'll be a lot sitting around. Yeah. I, and num- numbers is a big one. Go ahead. I want to ask. I want to ask about a family mission trip. Have you done a parent-child mission trip? Because I think, with parents being so involved in the process and in their children's life, that's maybe the next step of mission trips for youth ministry. It is. Um, you know, the mission trips we do to Mexico, we take sixth graders, um, and sixth graders have to bring a parent with them, um, and some oh, of the parents. Great love it and they start going every year with their kids and some of the parents never want to go back after sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something I really struggle with because there are not a lot of mission opportunities for eight-year-olds. Um, right. And so that's one of those things, you know, thinking about balance in terms of the whole life of the church. We put on mission opportunities, particularly in December, that are really designed to engage kids as young as like four or five. Um, and so how old are your children? My children, my children are three and seven. Right. So if you're thinking about your family, that doing something at Christmas and starting getting them engaged in something is a great start. Yes. Um, we already have, we already do have conversations about, um, things such as, you really don't need more toys. You know, <laughs> what the word need actually means in the world versus right. want. And we, we've begun to have those types of conversations. And, um, you know, they know about mission trips because they hear about daddy going on one, you know, with the youth group and that type of thing. So it's it's in their mind, you know. So it, the, the seeds are being planted. But, yeah, that would be a fun – I can imagine that would be an amazing and fun experience to do as a family at some point. And we're getting lots of questions by people asking, you know, I, I want to take my child somewhere. Where can we go? Who can we go with? And I'd love to be able to provide that opportunity for families because I think the theological part, not just the worship, but helping people understand why we're doing this trip is key to any mission. Mm. And Tilly, I'd love to know how you do that. How do you begin to change, not change the mindset, but um, educate and form someone's understanding about the world so that they don't come home from a mission trip and just say, 
I have so much and the poor people are so happy. Yeah. How do you- um, that's a really big issue. And it's one that, you know, one of the things that I think has changed in the last 20, 30 years of ministry and youth ministry, you know, in the 90s, youth ministry was about teaching teenagers the values of loving your neighbor and serving others and helping the least, the last and the lost. And it was kind of the role of church to teach that to people. Um, But that is kind of an inherent value in the millennial generation. They already get that to do things for the greater good. Uh, And And I think the the next generation that's coming up, I think they, they have that core value. Exactly. And, and the role of the church has changed now in that it's our role to give theological framework to what we're doing. Um, so we're not just teaching them how to do it and what to do, but we are teaching them why. Uh, and so using you know scripture and theology and spiritual practices to gain a deeper understanding of why we do what we do is really important. Um, and, and that type of work begins weeks before you go on a trip uh, and ends years after you get back. Agree. Agree. I think it's also a great opportunity to teach some spiritual practices so that while they're on the trip, you know, teaching them some practices of prayer and meditation and um, Bible study that they couldn't get outside of that experience because they're so immersed in serving and living out their faith that it it fits and they're hungry Absolutely. for it yeah and some of the spiritual disciplines that are a little bit more geared towards introverts and sometimes we really struggle to get the kids quiet for you know a 10 minute meditation on sunday night youth group mm-hmm. at the end of a long work day everyone is really willing to sit quiet for 10 minutes and <laughs> exactly exactly is there are there any resources you use on mission trips that you find that you go back to over and over again? Or do you create your own stuff just based on I yeah, my biggest resource is probably the Bible. Um there's just so many well, good stories. I sometimes use that deep justice journeys um that came out of the sticky faith work. Um it's a youth specialties book, but I find that it has some good preparation uh, materials, um, some activities for mission trips. And so I I go back to that over and over, but I do have to sometimes rewrite it. And there's a new Sticky Faith service guide, moving students from mission trips to missional living, that I think might be helpful. I haven't done a lot of reading in it. Can I ask you about um, any uh, policies or practices you have on mission trips in regard to taking photos? Yeah, that's one that um, we take seriously. You know, we don't, first of all, we don't want kids out on the work site wasting a lot of time and effort taking pictures and getting themselves into an unsafe situation. Um, So we have, you know, kind of policies about, maintaining focus on the work site and being present there to do the ministry that you're doing. You're not there because when you document everything in this world. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, we're also pretty lucky down in Mexico. Most of the kids don't have service. And so it's not like they can tweet. That's and always again. Instagram right away. Um, and what about the, um, Cliff, have you seen, I know Telly mentioned this, the Barbie savior picture. Yes. yes. That is hysterical because it's so true that we often take pictures and exploit children or the people in the community without intending to do that. Mm-hmm. And it also goes into the look how wonderful it is that I'm willing to be here and do this nice thing for these people. Look at the smiling, look at the smiling white savior amongst everyone. (laughs) Right. So I wonder, like, is there something we can hand out or teach or train our youth before they go on a mission trip to think about how those pictures are taken? One of the things I sometimes talk about when we do our trips is to have the young people imagine the life of the person that they're building a house for. Um, this is often we do it on like the second day. So they've seen where they live and they've met the family. Um, but to imagine what their life is like when we're not there. And then I always remind them that this is like the best weekend of the last 10 years for them. This is the weekend that they get a new house. You are seeing this family at an absolute all-time high in their life. Um, and and to not walk away thinking that all of the people in Mexico are these really joyful, smiley, happy people because you're seeing a false side of who they are. Well, and also, you they're hosting visitors. And so when I host family and friends over the holidays, I'm going to be smiling and happy and excited they're there, but that doesn't mean I'm excited and happy all of my life, every minute. It's it's part of hospitality. It's how you, you host people well. Yeah. Well, and it's also the reality is a, a ministry in a vulnerable place and a sacred space. I mean, <clears throat> I think about some of the other places that we do vulnerable and um, intimate ministry uh, in our lives as pastors, would I go into a hospice room and take a selfie? No, I would no. never do that. That's a sacred space. That's a quiet space. And that could be very rude to do with the person who is there. So even though it may not be you're on the deathbed with someone in the mission field, it's still that same kind of sacred partnership and tread very carefully right. while you're there. Well, we had a policy on our last trip to Cuba that you couldn't post a picture unless you knew that person's name and were going to have continued conversation Mm. with them. So you couldn't just take a picture of somebody. But if Tully and I are, you know, going to keep in touch and we're going to be pen pals and I know his family, I can post that picture because this is my sister in Christ Mm -hmm. and we are going to be in continued relationship. But if you just met some group of children, you couldn't post that picture. Or if you didn't get to know them and they're still part of that church that we are in partnership with, you can't post that because you have to know them and, and have a relationship with them to post something. I, but I, I don't think that's a great that's policy. I think I'm going to adopt that on our February trip. It's, I think it's a start. I think, I think we could do more though. So I'm not sure. I think that's an ongoing conversation about, what are some tips for that? 
And I think there's also thinking about what you're going to do with those pictures. You know, are you going to put them in the church newsletter? Are you going to put them up on the screen during worship? Are you going to put them on Facebook? You're going to put them on your Instagram. And those are kind of different ways of utilizing those pictures. And some are more appropriate. And and how are you going to talk about these pictures? You know, is it going to be a picture on Instagram? Hey, look what I did over the weekend. Or is it a picture on Instagram really telling this person's story to all of your Instagram followers back home? And acknowledging that you're, their lives intersect with your story and God's story so that it's a bigger, bigger conversation. We do have on our trips a communication policy or, or process so that we have a document that we say, you know, this is the person Cliff might be in charge of taking videos and Tully might be in charge of taking photos. And this is the purpose of those. And then youth will, will have photos that will be used in these three settings when we return. Um, Also that helps us communicate with parents so that, you know, if you do have limited cell service, maybe there's a way that one person can share some photos and get that information to parents who are a little bit more anxious when their children travel these days and get that information back. So we try to have a communication policy for each trip or plan. Yeah, Remind 101 is a really great um, tool for youth leaders because they can set up a a class and then they can text all of the parents in one easy text. Um, And you can get an email if you don't want to get a text. It's a great, that's a great resource. Thank you. Yeah, we try to set up those Remind 101s for every trip so that you have that ready to go. And you can also schedule some um, information. That is one thing I start doing even now as I start writing my first of the week letter and middle of the week letter, because honestly, you're exhausted on a mission trip. I know you've both gone on mission trips. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you're at 12 o'clock at night or two o'clock in the morning, trying to write an email to parents, it's helpful to have something to start with. So I, I try to do an outline of those letters. Um, first middle and end of the week letters to go to parents and then leave a spot to add something specific. And that at least gets me, I have that resource and I can add two or three sentences and at two in the morning, it's not that bad. I do try to also hand that off to another adult. So that's their role. (laughs) Doesn't always work, but I try. What, what roles do you have for adults on trips? Tully, is there something that you have certain specific roles or do you give them resources to help them be equipped for mission trips? Yeah, we do. Um, and it's something that I've, I've been thinking a lot about since our November trip because it was like the day before I spent hours pulling coolers and going down and getting ice and water for the trip. And I thought to myself, why am I doing this? This is not the best use of my time planning for this trip. This is add this to the list of volunteers for next year. Um, so certainly things like, like cooks, um, things like, uh, devotion leaders throughout the week, um, building experts, kind of team leaders on the work site, depending on what your project is. Um, I love, I almost always try to bring someone who has some kind of medical expertise. And then I just let that person know, Hey, you are the go-to first aid person. 
if something happens. Um, but also, you're kind of keeping an eye on everyone, making sure everyone's drinking plenty of water out on the work site, making sure everyone's you know doing things that are healthy and safety wise. We, we actually have a hydration coordinator, so uh, that that actually is important. So yes. uh, is important. we've had youth go on mission trips who don't like water, and um, that's now a requirement on our sign up list is you have to be able to drink water you know a day, gallon of water a day or um and so we have a hydration coordinator who sometimes will be like okay everybody fill your bottle and then let's see if we can who's the first person who can finish their bottle and do a couple contests throughout the day or throughout the week so that you're not always the one harping on drink your yeah. water your water yeah you know, the way I think about it is, is as the leader of the trip, if I've done all of my prep work ahead of time and recruited enough chaperones, then I don't have to do anything on the trip. I can just right. stand around. Um, of course, it never works out that way because right. you never get enough volunteers. There's always something you get there and you think, man, I wish I'd gotten a volunteer to do this. Um, well, and that's that list that I do think you need to make ahead of time. Like, you know, who is the transportation coordinator who makes sure that the vans are gassed before you go or is going to pick up the rental van so that staff person doesn't have to do that? And the transportation coordinator might be somebody who's not even part of the trip. You know, yeah, we have some really dedicated volunteers who help recruit people to give donations for food. Uh, and then they come and they pack everything up for the trip and they make sure you know, the eggs don't get packed underneath the canned green beans. That is great. Um, and it's just super helpful. I, like, I've never had to worry about that. And I'm really but there grateful are these, to them. There are those people who couldn't go on a mission trip or might not want to go on a mission trip with youth, but love the mission. And so would be willing to help in that way. Yeah. And so making sure you have lots of opportunities for the people in your congregation who can't go to give and support the trip in some kind of a way and, we haven't done it in a while, but I know that several other churches have a different person to pray each day of the week for them so that you can sign up and have somebody who's praying for you each day. And occasionally that person will send brownies or cookies or a note ahead of time and a reminder that this is my day and I'm praying for you. I think We've also done like a video message from the youth group. Oh, that's great. That, that then is played on Sunday morning worship while the group is away. Right. That's a great way to do that. We, yeah. We did that once. We did actually, we actually Skyped in live and did the call to worship once. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Cool. That's, that's, that's awesome. a great way to connect um, in worship. And it doesn't have to be, I like Telly that you can tape it ahead of time and have it in case you can't Skype in case it doesn't work out. What about, yeah, so, we uh, because we do these trips twice a year and sometimes both of our pastors want to go. And so then it's OK, well, who's going to preach? So there was one year where we in the November trip, we filmed a sermon, we edited it together and then it played during the February trip while both pastors That's were gone. Great. And, um, congregation normally isn't one that would say, yeah, we love video sermons, but it was kind of a special thing, and both the pastors were gone doing this mission trip, so it was like, yeah, okay, we can we can do this. Um, and it really kind of helps ease the congregation into a whole bunch of other kinds of transitionary stuff. And it, with having 40, done 48 trips in your setting, 
you probably have a lot of people who've gone on mission trips in the past who could be liturgist in worship or help that day and have that special connection to the mission. Yeah, absolutely. Or people who used to go, but now they, they can't because they're just not physically able. What about, you mentioned adult leaders and volunteers. Do you give them a gift during the weekend? What do you, how do you thank those leaders? Um, most of my volunteers are parents. Um, and so I kind of, the, the volunteers who aren't parents, I thank with a handwritten note. Um, and I try to be really diligent about that. Um, the volunteers who are parents, one of the greatest gifts you can give them is to help them see how amazing their child is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I make sure I take, you know, kind of a mental snapshot of the best moment of that kid's weekend. Uh, and then I share that with the parent in a very deliberate way and in a way that sometimes makes their action look a little bit better than maybe it really was. Um, right. But kind of help the parent see, wow, my kid, my kid is amazing. Because I think sometimes parents see more of the bad side of their kids than the good sides. And the youth leaders, well, we get to see trip, more of the good stuff. Right. And even on a mission trip, they're anxious or concerned about how their child is acting. And so if you can point out those things, I love that you're so intentional about that. Because that is what they want. They want to be able to see their child in the best light and to understand that they have the capacity for love and compassion. So um, sharing those moments is very important. That's a great thing. The other thing I do for parents is I kind of, I make the roles very clear. Like when we're on the work site, the adult, the team leaders, me, I'm, we're in charge. You're not in charge of your kid when they're holding the hammer. Um it's the back at the house stuff, the making sure the kid brushes their teeth and changes their mm-hmm. underwear. That's the stuff that I, I don't want to have to worry about as a youth leader and why we require a parent to go on a sixth grader's first trip. Um, but just right. to kind of say, hey, you are not really responsible for your kid on the work site is a huge stress reliever because the parents often well, don't know what they're doing on the work site, let alone how to instruct their kid to do it. I think that parent youth uh, situation that is important, but on a on a youth trip when you have youth and adults who are leaders and their child may be on the trip, we sometimes will have a chaperone sheet that says you're not allowed to braid your daughter's hair, you're not allowed to pay for you, their meals, you're not allowed to ask them about their if they floss their teeth, um, because you want that child to have that same experience. Um, and I, I am a parent on mission trips now, so I sometimes will catch myself asking my son, you know, did you brush your teeth? And then I look at, would look right to you, Tully, and say, did you brush your teeth? Because, (laughs) did you brush your teeth? Because I realize I'm doing a parent role. Um, but that's, some of those pieces are helpful for parents to know, you know, before you leave or before you go to the airport or before you get in the van, give your child that money that they have on the trip. And if they run out, they have to ask somebody else because you don't want a parent to buy, you know, a $200 souvenir or you don't want that child to not learn how to be responsible with money. So sometimes that's helpful for chaperones to remember. It seems trivial, but I think it's important. Yeah. What about on the return um, for leaders? 
Jen Evans has done, who is at Second Presbyterian Church in Little Rock, has done something amazing. She has members of our youth committee provide a meal to those leaders when they get back. Mm, that's nice. And that is cool. I, I strive for that, um, but I haven't quite gotten there. I think we've done a loaf of cinnamon bread to each leader. But that can something, be a meal, depending on the day. <laughs> right. Um, yes, it can be. <laughs> but something for them to, when you get back and you're so exhausted and the parents are picking up and, you know, rushing them to something else, and then you're left there standing, sometimes something little to thank the adults is good to say you what you did this week was important. Any, any other ways you think you might thank those adults? I'm, I'm thinking I, I don't do enough now. <laughs> you convicted me, Michelle Thomas Bush. No, I, you know, working with great youth leaders like Jen Evans and others, um, we share lots of ideas and I, I strive to be like them. So, um, one of the things I've done in the past is is we always take a big group picture, mm-hmm. um, and then just to make sure that every leader gets a copy of that picture. Yeah, that's great. And and sometimes the youth need that too to remember later. Yes. Any other ideas for a deeper approach to service work or mission trips that you would you think is important for us to remember as youth leaders? I, for me, the just the biggest thing is about intentionality and making sure that you're, everything you're doing, you're doing for a reason. And why, why are you doing that thing? And, and is that thing fitting into the whole bigger goal? Um, or are you just doing that because that's the way you've always done it? Or are you doing that just because it's easier? Um, and kind of really making sure you're focused on that and if you're in a situation where you get to do the same trip or similar trips year after year after year, to really do a lot of like note taking and tweaking and making notes for what are you going to do better next year, um, and really just kind of always thinking about that. Um, I use a application on my phone, and then I get these notes pop up a month before the next trip that says do such and such and such and such, and I'm like, oh yeah, I, now I remember I wrote that note to myself. Don't forget um, to bring three extra bottles of sunscreen uh, for that trip. Exactly. <laughs> or whatever that you need yes. that you hadn't thought about on the first trip. Yes, or the note that's like, you still need sunscreen on the February trip. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I have learned to really trust past Tully. Yes. The notes I get from myself, he knew what he was talking about when he wrote those notes. So whatever they say, just go with it. One of the things I we struggle with every year on mission trips is young people really wanting to give things to the community. Um, they want to bring things for them. They want to have collections with their sports teams. They want to, you know, bring old computers or boxes of shoes. How do you deal with having them leave things behind? I defer to our community partner on that. Great. Um, and so I always tell people, I'm like, wow, that's really generous. I'm so glad you brought this thing to leave behind. Let's talk to the Amor representative. And what do they want us to do? And what's the best use of those gifts? 
um, because there may be, you know, they're in the community year round and they know what's going on. And we may be building a house for someone who looks like they need some toys, but really there's another house that has twice as many kids. Or maybe there's an orphanage that has a whole bunch of kids and they could use those toys much more. Um, and so just relying on our community partners, it, it also takes the pressure off of me, say, I don't have to be the bad guy that says, no, you can't give this. Right. Well, and also it could destroy the partnership if you're giving some gifts to one home and not to another. Yep. Um, we had we worked in El Salvador, and we'll go again this summer, and one of their policies is you can leave whatever clothes or shoes or suitcases you want and they take it and they use it as a um, fundraiser for the community. So they use do like a yard sale with anything that's left over. Hmm. And so that everybody has a chance at those boots or water bottle or whatever it is. Um, yeah, we, and that we did that at not- one. And, but it wasn't so much a yard sale. It was that they would be used. We let, all left our work boots behind. Right. That those right. would all be used by people in the community that – were either needed them for work or whatever. Okay. We had like the steel toed boots and whatever. And we all just agreed that they were staying behind when we came back. So we all just came back in our tennis shoes and left the work boots on site. What's really funny in El Salvador is that they are much smaller people than we are. And so when we leave the extra large t-shirts, there's nobody to wear those. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> in the future, we've seen um, that the sewing co-op that we work with has taken those and made bags out of the extra large t-shirts or they take them and make aprons because nobody can wear the size t-shirts we wear. Take note, America. (laughs) Take note. So I have an interesting story about that from our Honduras trips. Um, One of the communities we partnered with, Cerro Azul, uh, which in Spanish means Blue Hill, they had received a bunch of donations from a group that had come earlier in the year Uh, And it had created a lot of community strength because the people who had gone out into the fields to work that day didn't get any of the donations. Um, And the community actually, it was just really hard on the community. And they decided to give all of the donations back to the local coordinator um, through PCUSA Mission Coworkers. And so they gave all the stuff back to Gloria uh, and they said, we're not ready for this. Um, And so Gloria took it and she found another community that was a little bit more organized and she gave it to them. And then our group from Orangewood came like two weeks later to the same community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we were trying to give away these donations we had brought, it had to be done in a really structured and equitable way where the families um, were put into a lottery and like they got to pick an order and then the families got to go shopping uh, and they were allowed to take like you right. know maybe two items per person, um, and just it was just really eye opening. the system. Yes, it, um, and, and it was really eye opening because we don't often think about what happens to these donations that we leave behind. Do they get into the hands of the whole community, or does one person hoard them, sell them, uh, and then keep all the money for themselves? Yeah. And that's, again, going back to what you initially said, Tully, is, you know, the power has to be the power and decision making has to be in the hands of your partner of the community agency you're working with. Yeah. Yeah, we um, we have created some issues on some trips uh, just by, you know, not asking the questions, assuming we have to tip somebody 
you know, our cooks who are, who are cooking, but then not tipping the right way, you know, uh, not giving the money to the session who might give it to the cooks. Mm. Um, because, because one person has done all the shopping and all the cooking and the other people have come in just to do the prep work and we only see, you know, the people serving. So not asking those questions can create some problems in the future. Yeah. And so I think your part about being intentional about every single aspect of the trip is important. And, and, and make not sure assume you're, you're getting feedback from your chaperones and your other leaders. Talking to them throughout great. the trip. Hey, what worked? What didn't work? What can we do better next time? We, um, on a lot of trips, if it works out, we sometimes will meet with the chaperones over breakfast or coffee before early morning devotions so that we have a chance every day to check in with them to see where everybody is. Um, and if there's a time, you know, once a day to, to check in and say, how's everybody doing? Who's taking, who's taking notes about what to bring next year or what to do next year? Let's share those concerns. Um, but we find sometimes the kids don't necessarily want to get coffee at six thirty in the morning, so that's the only time we have free together. But I think meeting yeah, whatever a really time good time. thing, you know, if you have a smaller group, you can check in with everyone kind of individually throughout the week during meal times and whatnot. I'll share one thing we've done at meal times and in one of our trips because. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves in youth ministry is youth who sit together, sit with the same person every time they get together. So if Cliff and I gravitate to each other and we sit at a table at every meal, um, that is a pet peeve of mine because I feel like the building the relationships in the youth group is also an important part. So we've had a couple of the youth leaders, youth who are leaders, um, take name tags and put them at the place where everybody's going to sit that night. So, oh, that's cool. and it's become a tradition on one of our trips that, you know, if you do something exceptional during the day, you get to choose the order of seating that night. Or, you know, if you're the first one up and you assist with something, you get to decide, you know, the, the table sit, setting that night. And it's a, it's a fun way to interact and and the youth take it seriously because they'll say you know i haven't haven't had any conversation with tully this week so i need to sit beside him or these two people have had a conflict let's sit them side by side so that they can figure it out or have a meal together and that's helpful when it comes from the youth and not from the adults yeah that's a great idea we also do dinner by mutual invitation so whoever share a little bit about that yeah, whoever prays gets to eat first, um, and and as they're going to line up to get their food, they pick who eats second, uh, and whoever eats second picks who eats third, and so on and so on. Um, but the rules are, if you're a middle school girl, you have to pick someone who's either in high school or who's a boy to eat after you, or an adult. Um, and just that way, it kind of mixes it up, and, and then you're not always eating with your best friend. Wonderful. I think we need, our young people need some help in that, um, in just building relationships and knowing the flow. So those practices like mutual invitation are important. Absolutely. 
Well, Tully, thank you for your time. This has been helpful. Um, and I've started to begin to think about my mission trips and what I need to be doing and, and getting a little bit more excited about the process. So thank you for um, sharing some thoughts with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great. Tully, if people want to get in touch with you, what what is the best contact with me? Uh, my name, T-U-L-L-Y dot Fletcher, F-L-E-T-C-H-E-R at gmail.com. And for you, Michelle? I'm at mthomas-bush at myersparkprez.org. That's really long, so you can also find me on Facebook. And you can find me at RevanGeek, that's R-E-V-N-G-E-E-K, at gmail.com. This has been the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Podcast. Join us in the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Facebook group to be part of the ongoing conversation.